The battle of wizards and warriors continues with iron swords. The evil wizard Malkil will take the shape of the earth, wind, water, and fire. Farewell! The fate of the world is in your hands! You're listening to the Piercing Wizard Podcast, and I'm your host, Ryan Willette. I'm a professional body piercer with 20 years experience, I travel around the world teaching technique and safety classes, and I'm a member of the Association of Professional Piercers. Listen in as I talk to my friends and colleagues about our industry so we can all stay sharp. Hi everybody, how you doing? Thanks for coming back to another episode. I'll try to keep this intro short for you. Uh, This week I'm going to be talking to my buddy Jeff Saunders and it's going to be a a subject that I get asked about all the time and it's just advice about opening a studio. Um, We don't really go with like, you know, a, a, a format. We're not trying to teach a class or anything through a podcast. We're just talking about some of our experiences. Uh, I've opened a few studios over my career. Jeff has opened a few studios over his career, and he's just recently finished uh, opening his new Gamma studio in Ann Arbor, Michigan, and it's pretty amazing. So uh, I thought now would be a good time to have Jeff on the show. We can talk about some of the lessons he's learned through this build-out, but also previous build-outs. I can share my experiences, and we can just uh, chat a little bit. How to manage construction, how to manage loans, how to manage jewelry inventory, how to select a location. We, we talk about all that stuff, so we'll go ahead and get into that in just a minute. Uh, I just want to say thank you for everyone who listened to uh, episode 200 that, uh, that Lola did with me. Uh, it was really fun making it, and I'll continue to try to make some more for you anyway. Um, thank you to everyone who has been signing up at patreon.com slash ryanpba. You know I really appreciate that support. Trying to move in that direction, being more of a, a, an educator, as close to full-time as I can get. Um, trying to move away from being a full-time piercer as, as far as I can get in one way or another. Um, and I really do appreciate your support with um, my new endeavors uh, over on Patreon. So I just added a whole new video about doth piercing for you there. I show three different um, piercing examples start to finish, including marking, prepping the skin, and, and performing the piercing. These are all doths pierced from the bottom up into a receiving tube. So if that's a, a different style, a different method for you, uh, check out the video, see what you think. And that's just one perspective. You know, there are plenty of doths where I'll pierce them from the, the top down. Uh, I've seen plenty of people pierce them with different disposable implements, more of a freehand kind of style. So I kind of talk about one specific stru- uh, style of, of piercing a doth, but, um, you know, more than one correct way to do something for sure. So go ahead and check that out if you're interested. Um, if you are signed up to my Patreon, you can also join me on Sunday, December 19th for an Ask Me Anything session. You can go to Patreon now and you can submit any sort of questions. That way I can have material prepared for you. I've gotten a few good questions already, so I'm going to uh, look forward to having that um, uh, Patreon exclusive Ask Me Anything session. So if you're a Patreon uh, subscriber on the Archmage tier, please join me for the live session from my studio. I can talk about any sort of um, topics, answer any sort of questions, and I can try to use live examples wherever possible. Uh, And then that'll get recorded, and and that'll be put on uh, Patreon for everyone. So uh, you can go ahead and and check that out live Sunday, December 19th, and the on-demand version shortly thereafter. Um, I am also working on a new video all about needle modification, needle crushing. Um, I I tried to to start one around September, but it just didn't come out good enough. So I got uh, a new camera, and I'm trying out some new styles with this whole, like, green screen overlay thing. And I think I've got a pretty good video working uh, for you right now. So... I've still got maybe another week or two left until it's done, and then I'll, I'll post that. I am on posting that somewhere around Christmas time, roughly, so it'll be up uh, before the end of December for subscribers. Um, and then lots of other plans for, for 2022 also, so uh, stay tuned. There's a, there's a lot more coming. 
Um, as far as the podcast, I've got this episode 201 with uh, Jeff Saunders. And um, next week, I'm going to be posting a, a 2021 recap episode. Uh, Lola's probably going to be joining me for a little bit of that. We'll talk about some some uh, bigger developments over the course of the year, maybe some plans for next year. And then after that, I am going to take myself a little bit of a holiday, a little bit of a hiatus from the show. Uh, I'm aiming for more than just a couple of weeks instead of a couple of months, but we'll we'll see. You know, I'll be back when I have uh, something good to say or somebody to go to good to bring on for them to say something. But um, I'll, I'll still make some more episodes, but I'm going to take a little bit of a break. Getting back into this whole uh, weekly episode thing has been a little bit... Um, strenuous. So I'm, I'm going to take another another break. But for now, let's go ahead and talk to Jeff Saunders about opening a studio. All right. Uh, my name is Jeff Saunders. I am uh, the co-owner and manager of Gamma Piercing in Ann Arbor, Michigan. Uh, I've been on the board of the APP. I, I was president for a bit. Uh, I work for the Fakir Intensives uh, with classes hopefully starting again in 2022. Um, and uh, I think that's it. My website's gammapiercing.com. Uh, my blog, which is kind of ancient at this point, is uh, piercingnerd.com. Um, and uh, oh, yeah, I, I helped out with the piercing Bible. Cool. So um, one, of the, one of the most frequent questions I get Whenever I do like a, a Q&A show or an Ask Me Anything session or whatever, lots of lots of younger piercers, um, not necessarily just younger piercers, actually, but lots of piercers ask, how do you start a shop? How do you open a shop? What advice do you have for opening a shop? Please, please help me open a shop. And um, it's kind of a loaded question. It's kind of a loaded subject because I think sometimes it's difficult for people to understand just how individual and specific it is you can't really you can't really tell someone how to open their shop you could teach a class about like maybe these are some of the factors that go into it how you select like a physical location how you prepare for inventory and budgeting and all those things but it's so individual because like your needs in ann arbor michigan are going to be very different from my needs in nashua new hampshire lola's needs in glasgow scotland all that stuff but um, at this point, how many studios have you opened in your entire career? I've, uh, this most recent one would be my fourth. So uh, four shops. Four and shops. Uh, I, I feel like, you know, I I've opened three, all like the same. I haven't, I've never had multiple shops in my mm -hmm. life, but I've opened three different studios over my career. And it's been like a really significant jump and evolution every time I open a shop because like I've changed as a piercer, I've learned more, I've, I've learned more from other people. Um, and I would imagine that over your career, you've probably done the same. And you just opened recently a new gamma piercing location, which is gorgeous. Thank you. Uh, so I thought this would be a good opportunity to have you on the show and you can talk about some of your experiences and insights for opening a studio. So where, where do you think you'd want to start? Do you want to talk about maybe your first studio and go from there? Or do you want to just kind of start with the newest studio? Uh, no, no. I think maybe like the historical stuff will probably lead to other questions. Okay. Um, and maybe we'll answer stuff along the way. Um, <clears throat> so I started piercing out of um, uh, a shop in Providence that was also a skate shop, mm -hmm. which sat, like to the modern ear sounds just 
bananas like what um but it was really common to like have piercing as like one small section of like a clothing store or whatever back in the day um but you know by we opened uh the first iteration of the piercing only shop in 2002 um and that was Rockstar in Providence, Rhode Island. Um, and uh, when we built that, I, I didn't have to start from scratch in terms of we had, you know, I had an autoclave and a table and we had a jewel, jewelry selection and stuff like that. <clears throat> but um, the the person that actually owned the shop, I was just the manager. I didn't own any of it at that point. Um, it was a, a guy named Rob Murphy, really, really handy. Um, so he built the whole place by himself. Um, and we did it on a nothing budget. I think we had $13,000 to play with, which is just <laughs> like, right. Okay. But, but, but to say 13,000 is nothing like 13,000 is like so much to, to, I think some piercers, my, my first studio, I, I would have dreamed to have $13,000 to play with. Sure, sure. Uh, yeah, I, I, I suppose the reason I say it was nothing is because I think I, I forget what our rent was, but it was like very clear that 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 money that as as the build stretched on, <laughs> that yeah. that money was just rent. <laughs> yeah. um, so it was a, it was a real challenge, um, and the space was small. It was on the second floor, um, and uh, you know we had a lot of fun. I, I did my best to try to help out with it. I'm not especially handy. Um, but, uh, we got, we got it open and it was the only shop that I had for, uh, I'd say about 10 years, maybe it was a little bit longer. I forget. Um, and then, uh, an opportunity came to open a second store. Um, and that was, uh, uh another rock star in also in Providence on, uh, the other side of town. Um, the, that first store was on, uh, Thayer street, which is co- very collegey. Um, and the other one was on Federal Hill on, At- on Atwell's Ave. And that was sort of the area where a lot of locals would go to get tattoos and get body art and stuff. Um, so a new tattoo shop had opened again on the first floor and they had a second floor that they offered to us. And they had done a real full rebuild of this building, um, like rehabilitated. It was beautiful. Um, so we got to, again, kind of on a, a very low budget, build a, a really nice shop. And we had built it with the idea of if it gets popular, we can really expand it. So we had enough. We had an I had an office. We had enough space for two rooms. It was my first totally disposable shop. <clears throat> so um, but we weren't really sure if that was going to work. It was kind of the uh, early days well, of me, that. Let me touch on something really quick too. What, what year would you say it was that you were building out the Atwell's location? I, was it 2013? I forget. It was around then. Well, I, I remember at the time uh, I came down to, to Providence mm-hmm. and um, you know, you showed me around when you were still doing the build out. And that was the, the first, that was the first studio I had ever really uh, been in that was designed with, disposable specifically in mind. I mm-hmm. I've been to places where they had to kind of like make disposable work or something, but this was the first studio from like what I would consider a, a high level piercer, very experienced piercer who was kind of making the conscious decision to say a processing room is kind of a waste of space and maybe a waste of budget. Um, if you want to move into a disposable space anyway, why do you need to dedicate all these resources to a reprocessing room, which is kind of 
every year that passes every generation of piercer that, that comes along, I think processing rooms are becoming less and less of a priority. So it was really forward thinking and really progressive at the time, especially. Well, th- thank you. I, I, I have to say that I wasn't super confident at the time. I was just like, I don't know if it's going to work. So we had the space all ready to go. Um, and it, it was one of those things, like, I don't know if you've ever, I really like the movie Jaws. And one of the things that made Jaws work is that the, the uh, animatronic shark didn't really work. <laughs> yeah. It was a total disaster. So they didn't get to show the shark much, which made the movie a lot better. Well, you know, we didn't have a ton of money, so we were just like, well, it'd be a lot cheaper to not do this this uh, cleanup room. And I and I was pretty confident that we weren't going to need it. Uh, so we just went with it as is. And uh, it went it went great. Uh, I, yeah. I, I never I looked back. It, was, um, it, it changed <laughs> my perspective on it, because when when I go into a shop, um, especially a shop that's being built out. I've been in a handful over my my career. Um, I'll just say commonalities like, you know, oh, you know, where's your procedure room? Where's your waiting room? Where's your processing room? And you're like, no processing room. And it was just like, what? No, no processing room. <laughs> um, and, you know, you you explained it to me. And at the time, it sounded like such a foreign concept. But now it just makes more and more sense. If If I had to, and hopefully I never will, but if I had to build out a new studio today, I might seriously consider just going disposable because um over my career i've i've my my opinion on what you need for a processing room has evolved quite a bit and originally it was just like well you need a a a sink and you need an autoclave and you know maybe an ultrasonic and now it's like well you need this and this and this and this and this and it's like a ten thousand dollar investment just for a processing room so it's like couldn't you take that ten thousand dollars and use it somewhere better and then just dispose of your implements Right, right. I know that's that's been one of my big arguments is that uh, exactly to your point, the processing from 2002, when I first, you know, built a shop was relatively inexpensive, right? Mm -hmm. Like how much is an ultrasonic? Uh, How much is is it, you know, uh, an autoclave that isn't tested for lumens and stuff, you know? Um, and now, um, you know, you obviously still need an autoclave. You got to sterilize things, but um, you know, the ultrasonic. I don't really like those. I like automated stuff. So, mm-hmm. you know, you're looking at some sort of mechanic, like a plumbed-in instrument washer. Um, well, that's expensive. Just the plumbing. And at what point does throwing away a clamp every once in a while like where's the math like how long of a, a, a of a life at a piercing shop does it takes to to reach that initial ten thousand dollar investment in clamps and garbage right. recycling right. um and i i think probably the disposable ends up being more affordable and it, uh, i also and not to make it a disposable uh, uh podcast but i now that there's really affordable medical recycling, I think you can do it greener. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I'm still very much in the camp of processors and I enjoy being able to, to fully process, but it's just because um, that's the way it's always been for me. If I had to drastically rethink it, I, I don't think it would be impossible to move into that disposable space and do it at the, the same level or even arguably a, a higher level. So apples and oranges, I suppose. 
Yeah. And I don't want to make it seem like I think disposable is the only safe way to do things. Right. Oh, sure. I, I, I would work in a shop that did processing. I would get pierced at your shop. Right. Like we wouldn't even think twice about it. Um, mm-hmm. It's just one of those things where it really does work for our uh, uh, my shops and the sort of uh, the the way I do things. It works out really, really well. Yeah, sure. So, um, you know, you had your time in Rhode Island. You made a personal family, but also business decision to um, move beyond those shops. Do you want to give any detail of that? Uh, and, and when you came to Michigan or? Sure, sure. Yeah. So uh, my uh, wife and I uh, decided to start a family and it was one of those things where we we decided that that was right for us. And then but hadn't really thought like, oh, what's it going to be like to have? Uh, a family in Rhode Island versus a family near her folks so that we had sort of the family support. Um, it immediately became clear that we really wanted that family support. And yeah, yeah. Uh, I ended up selling my shops in uh, Rhode Island. Uh, and I'm very, really, really happy with what they've done with the place. Uh, they ended up closing both of the stores, opening a brand new one that's beautiful. Um, uh, it's still my original business partner, Rob Murphy, and uh, uh, Peter Jett, who I had taught to Pierce years ago. Um, they're just doing great work in there in Providence. But I moved to Michigan, and I I was a little bit um, burnt out on piercing. I'd been doing it, you know, my entire adult life, and I thought, well, maybe I'll try to do something else. Uh, and I tried to do um, uh, a couple other. things things uh i was in the process of buying a skate shop for a minute (laughs) i was really returning to the roots and then like the night before we figured out that it was like uh the skate shop was not gonna work like like, the money just did not make any sense so we abandoned ship on that idea so during that time where i was trying different things i worked at a brewery for a minute uh i i was still teaching piercing classes i was still active in the piercing community and it became really clear. It's just like, I really like piercing. I don't know why I'm trying other stuff. Maybe I was just exhausted, uh, but uh, it it's it's time to try that again. And uh, Laura and I sat down and we're like, well, what, what kind of shop would we want to do? Uh, and it's really difficult to sort of explain in, uh, in the context of what I thought I was going to build <laughs> versus what we ended up building. Yeah. Uh, And part of it was that even though I had opened shops in like 2012 and stuff, my, my headspace was still kind of stuck at like the toughest era of piercing, which was like 2008, 2009, about the time of the housing collapse. Um, So I was like, I'm going to build this boutique shop that does like four or five piercings a day. And, you know, we'll, we'll have a, 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 you know, really great time with everybody that we work with um and i will slowly but surely build up like a gold selection and that'll be my thing right <clears throat> and we opened and even though we had issues like uh they shut down the street that my shop was on uh, mm-hmm. the first month we opened uh you know the first couple months were a little scary and a little bit tough but we immediately got much much busier than i an- anticipated um and 
from then on every year the shop changed dramatically mm-hmm. uh so the first year it was uh laura and i were piercing a lot and then she went to school uh so then it was me and then i had uh just really lucky uh a piercer named tyler arnett uh, started working for me and that was fantastic um it was a ton of help um and then tyler uh left and then uh a piercer named Derek Holman helped me out for a while and he was fantastic he was driving from Iowa uh to to do it um and then I had trained uh Amanda Page to pierce and then she was helping me so we had like these defined eras whereas Laura Tyler Derek Amanda and then uh I realized that um once Laura was working full time, I needed to take a big step back uh, so that she could be a nurse and that I could be with our son. Um, So we hired Nathaniel Tinker and two weeks later, we closed the shop for three months. Mm -hmm. So I, I, you know, he was such a good sport about it and it was really tough, but, you know, he went from, uh, he moved from, Chicago to Michigan. And then two weeks later was out of a job for three months. It was really, really tough. I felt uh, terrible for him. Um, But he made it through. And then once, you know, post pandemic, we kind of all know what's been going on with piercing since then, things are even busier. Uh, And uh, it, it became really clear that this one piercing room shop just wasn't, wasn't the right facility. Um, and, and that that location is on a college campus or like campus adjacent. Yeah, the, so it's funny. Both both locations. There's a, a so we're at University of Michigan in Ann Arbor. The first Gamma location was on a street called South University, uh, which is where if you have in mind an, a a college town. Uh, strip where like there's four cheap pizza places uh, all cheaper than the one before them. Like that's the place that I was. Mm-hmm. Um, Perfect and... place to put a high end piercing studio. Well, yeah, it was funny because we'd hear that an awful lot where we'd have uh, we, you know, we had our college student customers and we really uh, I'm very, very thankful for them. Um, and then we'd have the people that were like seeking us out for whatever reason and they hated coming to that area. They would say, it's just like, oh, I hate this area of town, but I'll come for you, right? Yeah. Uh, and that was really sweet, but it was also like, okay, like there, part of it was I didn't really know the area when I moved to uh, uh, Ann Arbor. And even when I had gotten to Ann Arbor, I had a newborn and, uh, you know, I was working, uh, a lot. So I didn't really learn uh, much about Ann Arbor until I'd say even recently. Mm-hmm. Um, so I didn't have a feel for the neighborhoods, that sort of thing. Um, right. it, it made a lot of sense. Uh, uh, and really it was the only thing we could afford and the only thing that was available to us at the time, but it became really clear, like, ah, there's other streets and really there's like three streets in Ann Arbor that you could be on that would be viable. Um, so, uh, there was a place that actually used to be an American apparel. And I had sort of was like, Oh, this would be a great place for a piercing shop. And American apparel had gone about out of business years and years ago. Um, and it had just stayed empty and I couldn't figure out why. Um, 
and then I figured out that the American Apparel had originally been huge. Um, it had actually taken three different spaces, bulldozed the walls, and they the the owner of the building had wanted somebody to take all three spaces, mm. and just the rent was insane. I'd imagine, yeah, not feasible. Yeah. In, in addition, it wasn't set up for a restaurant so like the only thing that really could have fit there was a restaurant but you'd have to add the the uh the money the build out to turn it into a restaurant to make yeah. it work so eventually they uh uh split it up into three spaces and, and we jumped on it immediately so having that college campus having that kind of like captive audience really um and then you have the locals and all that stuff i remember I remember having lots of conversations with you over the years where it was like, oh my God, Jeff's selling Rockstar and, and you know, leaving piercing uh, as like an active full-time job. Then you moved to Michigan and I remember seeing you trying out different things and it was great to see that. But then I, I always kind of felt in the back of my mind of like, he'll, he'll, he'll want to open a shop again <laughs> or work somewhere or, you know, you, you can't really stay away from it for too long if you're kind of in love with, with something. Mm-hmm. Um, and then when you open the new studio, I remember having all these conversations where you're like, yeah, I'm just, you know, I'm going to start a little tiny place boutique, you know, do, a, do a little bit, you know, I'll work part-time Laurel work part-time. And then this like steady March of like, you know, some people are just inherently good at business or good with the service that, that you guys offer, you know? So, um, it wasn't a shock to me that the next conversation was like, oh yeah, it's, it's spiraling it's snowballing it's bigger and bigger and maybe i should look at bringing on new staff or expanding or or doing this and and doing that so um when you kind of move to a place you open a location and then you have those those moments afterwards where you're like well maybe this wasn't ideal or this wasn't ideal and then you start looking at what the next place will be what were the factors that went into finding that new place and creating that new place uh well i an awful lot went into the thought process and i was really fortunate because uh, i had laura um but i also had nathaniel tinker to bounce ideas off of mm-hmm. and um there so first and foremost we knew that we needed two rooms it was just one of those things where uh and and i've said this a few times and this is the first shop that uh i've had with two rooms but in the past, just from either uh, a money thing or a space thing, I just didn't have enough room to make two piercing rooms. Yeah. Uh, in particular, the first gamma location, the piercing room was huge. It was the layout of the facility that made it virtually impossible uh, to make two rooms. Uh, yeah. And it was really, really frustrating. But when you only have one room, there's a math problem, right? You've got seven days in the week. And if you have a full-time piercer, that means you have these two extra weird days mm-hmm. um, where if you're lucky, you, there's uh, uh, somebody local or somebody willing to travel to fill in those extra two days. Uh, and what Laura and I thought was, well, I can work five, she can work two. This is no big deal. Um, of course, that's not great <laughs> for a relationship yeah. <laughs> right um uh and so slowly but surely that morphed into me working four and then having somebody else work three uh so yeah there, there ends up being a math problem 
with one piercing room. Whereas if you've got two piercing rooms, the math works out that there's five, five, and four. So that's enough uh, uh, space if you're going to do seven days a week for 14 shifts, which is great for 30 piercers. Uh, it, it, it's taken me a long time to actually get to the space where I could make that happen. But that was like very clearly what needed to happen to have enough uh, 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 facility to handle the business. Because we were booking out something ridiculous, like eight weeks in advance. And of course, because we were so booked up in advance, eight weeks would go by. People would forget that they had an appointment. People would uh, have gone somewhere else. And I couldn't really even say that I blame them, right? If you told me I had to wait eight weeks for a haircut, I'd be a little bit frustrated. I might find somewhere else. So we needed to get more people through the door to sort of satisfy the demand. Um, uh, and we did that. We, so we, we knew what we needed to build a facility with two, two piercing rooms. Um, and we knew we wanted a location that was good for both college students and for locals. And we found that, um, and then, uh, probably the, the most work I put into it after that was just deciding, that I wanted it to not look like anywhere else if I yeah, could avoid yeah. that. Um, well, and to, to slow it down just, just before we get to like the, the aesthetic side of it. Sure. Um, and, you know, I obviously wouldn't expect you to give any sort of financial specifics, but when you, when you plan for these studios, whichever studio it was throughout your career, how do you find yourself, um, budgeting and allocating resources? Is it something where you say, I'm going to take out a loan for X amount. I'm going to put this percentage towards build out. Um, but then I'll maybe put this kind of cherry on the top where it's like, and I'm going to do it with some cool aesthetic features and how much is going to be jewelry and, and how much is going to be all these other little aspects of it. Because when I, when I hear questions, a lot of times people say, well, I only have however much money to invest, um, where's the smart place to put it. And that that's where it gets really tricky because it's, it's so individual for you having that fortunate scenario of having an existing studio in a town and then realizing that I want to create more studio in that town. Um, you can plan really specifically, but I think if people are opening a studio for the first time, one of their biggest bottlenecks or sources of anxiety is like, if I have, 10,000, 20,000, 50,000 to spend, like how much do I allocate towards certain parts of it? So what, what were some of the factors that went into those decisions for you? Uh, that, that's a great question. And it's, I, I would, I would start by saying, I don't think I have ever gotten it right. <laughs> you know, we're now on uh, attempt number four and I'm still figuring out new ways to get it wrong. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and, and probably the biggest thing that I got wrong with this new shop is that I thought for sure that I would be able to open that location, uh, th that new location is on Liberty Street, right? And that it would be able to keep the South University uh, shop open for a few months while the, um, uh, the lease ran out and, uh, I, I, right up until the day before we opened the new location, I thought the old location be closed for a week and we right back to it. And it has never reopened. Okay. <laughs> uh, because it became instantly clear day one, I had brought 
over 90% of the jewelry from the old store to the new store. So, you know, that was a big effort to relocate it from one store to the new store. But uh, once I had done that, uh, we opened the new shop and it was the 10% that we had left at the old shop that we needed all day. Um, And it was really clear that my idea that we'd somehow split this uh, uh, amount of jewelry between the two stores, it was never going to work. Uh, I needed to sounds like something where it it only makes sense in your head or maybe on paper, but yeah, in reality, because that amplifies the problem of, is this everything you have? Uh, For sure. But it wasn't even a selection thing. It was just like, uh, you know, how many, uh, uh, clear eyebrow retainers do you have in your store, right? Do you have six of them? Well, like, do you want to painstakingly separate that between three and three? But the Mm. other shop's going to be busier, so maybe four and two. It was just like, oh, this is going to be an enormous amount of work. What we're going to find is that the other store is just not going to have the stuff. Uh, So it's just, if it's fruitless, right? This is not going to work. I don't know why I ever thought it was going to work. Um, but I would have sworn that it was going to be no problem. Like, oh, it'll be a little tough. And it just, it's literally never reopened. Uh, so uh, it, I, I would love to speak as some sort of expert in terms of like getting it right. But I can more say like, oh, here are the ways that I got it wrong. Mm-hmm. Um, then in terms of money, one of the big advantages I had with building this store was that I had an existing store generating an income. Right. Um, it wasn't like I had a set amount of money that it was just like, all right, I've got, I'm going to come up with a figure, $50,000, right? I've got $50,000 to build this, this store with. Uh, it wasn't like that. It, that was a number that was going to constantly change. Mm-hmm. Um, so I had my savings, but I also knew that as the build extended that I could, uh, I, I knew like what the minimum was going to be, but I also was just like, Oh, we're really busy. Uh, and we're, you know, making good sales and I'm being smart about the way I'm ordering jewelry. Then we'll have a little bit more to do fancier stuff at the new store. Um, well, and- that's, that's a big part of what I, I want you to explain with, with gamma Two electric boogaloo is that, <laughs> I think when when you talk about building a, a, a studio, a lot of people think of it as either, all right, it's going to be DIY. I'm going to try to do as much as I can and then maybe hire professionals for the stuff that I can't physically do or I can't get a friend to help me with or barter with or something. The other camp is usually like, all right, I'll hire a, a, a builder, um, tell them what I want. Um, but I think a lot of times people overlook the, the, the root of that before you can even make that decision is the, the design and the layout. And I think lots of studios look very much like it's like when they make that joke of like, you know, people look like their pets or whatever. Mm-hmm. Studios really reflect the personality of the, the owner, the manager, the, the piercer. And this new gamma is really very, very different. And that's because of like a conscious decision you made as to who was going to be designing the layout. So talk about that a little bit. Okay. Uh, well, well, I think probably the thing that I have always come back to is that uh, we know as piercers that doing it yourself is a bad idea, right? And even, you, you know how uh, a lot of times 
uh, piercing clients won't be able to tell a good piercing from a bad piercing. Like they just don't have that, that insight, but piercers will immediately say, Oh, this, this wasn't done well. Right. That sort of thing. Um, uh, I think that's also true of things like graphic design, right? You could tell the people that design their own logos and it can work. Right. But for me, it's those kind of polishes really matter. Um, so I really, really, really want to invest in that sort of thing this time around. So uh, there is a local um, uh, design architecture uh, group in Ann Arbor. And uh, I had developed a relationship with them about three years ago when I first started trying to build a new location because it, it, it actually had started about three years ago. I was just like, oh, this one room thing's not working. Um, but finding the right space and getting it, uh, was, uh, quite a challenge. So, uh, I developed this relationship with them. And then when we were ready to do it, they told me, all right, it's going to cost this much for us to do it. And it was a huge amount of money. Um, but I knew it was worthwhile to invest in somebody that was there to, to, uh, see the stuff that I couldn't see. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, you know, it's one of those things where you don't know what you don't know. I don't know anything about architecture, right? If I had built the second gamma from sketches that I had made and handed to a builder, I think it would be totally functional. Uh, on the other hand, uh, would it be beautiful? Like, no, absolutely not. I, I just do That's not a skill I have. And I really needed to pay somebody to make it beautiful. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was also really fortunate that they kind of, we communicated really well together, uh, the architecture team and I, uh, the person, the main person in charge is a woman named Sydney. And uh, she, she said, okay, well, what do we want to look like? And she's like, I, I honestly, I've never commissioned something like this. Um, I, I might be making mistakes along the way. And, and it sounds silly, but I told her, I don't know what it looks like, but I know what it sounds like. Mm-hmm. And so I sent her a song and she's like, oh, I got it. And, and she had it. And her team not only came up with like a color scheme based on that, but also these are the way the lines of the space are going to look like, uh, and, and you know they also did things like they built our furniture, they built our uh, a center display case and stuff. Uh, so she's like, "Oh, tell me a little bit about piercing shops. How do they look?" And I told her, "I, was like, I don't actually want you to look at other piercing shops, right? Because um, then you get this bias of like, you know, even if you send them five different examples, they base everything on those five examples, and that's just like, well, they already have that. Why would I want that same thing?" Well, right. And I was never worried about them doing that because I just think they, they, these folks are just so talented that they had a really good perspective and they really had an aesthetic all their own. But I, I really was very happy to say like, okay, you know, here's a general thing of what's possible. And it was mostly like, you know, here are some beautiful shops, not these, (laughs) it's not what I want. You know, you come up with your thing. Uh, and I and I really think they did a very good job. Um, but I was, was really the, uh, what was the song out of curiosity? Oh, I don't want to say. Okay, okay. <laughs> it's it, was it, it wet it, ass pussy? And 
I I have I have a feeling that it, whatever I say is going to uh, have people uh, uh, like laughing at me. But it, basically, it's like a, a chill electronic song with no sure. with no words. Um, so you, if you've got that sort of chill wave vibe in in your head, like that's what it was. Yeah. Um, and yeah, they did they did such a nice job. Actually, she's headed to the shop in an hour to get her ears pierced by us uh and it's been really cool because all the all the folks that worked on the on the store have gotten pierced since then um so i remember well okay but before i get on to the the next thought i i i just want to hammer home a couple of things that both of us have said during this talk so far um it's a gradual thing we've we've had the first studio, the second studio, the third studio. And each time you learn more about what you want and you learn more about what you specifically don't want. You learn more about, yeah, maybe DIY past a certain point is, is a diminishing return because like you can kind of tell it doesn't have that same kind of polish. So over time for me for opening studios, I've got, I've had to get more comfortable with the concept of like, I'm just going to hire a, a qualified professional. Yes, it will cost more, but it's going to look so much better in the end. And I, I think that that can be a, a clear definer between studios. There's nothing wrong with that first studio DIY kind of vibe. You have to do this yourself. You, you know, you do your own painting, stuff like that. Really common for lots of, of, of piercers and studios, myself included. But I think when you get to a point where you're very established, where you've had some experience um, and you've learned through trial and, and error building out studios, your, your new studio, the next studio, you get to start to include things off of like your wish list or like the stuff where previously you'd been like, I really wish I had this or that. So what were some of the things that were on your, your wish list for the new studio? Uh, well, I, ha I had a kind of a big wish list, <laughs> uh, but I do want to talk just a first second about that DIY thing. And yeah. I think the thing that the, the thing that I really needed to wrestle with was the fact that, you know, my original first two shops, I had a, a borderline professional uh, 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 handyman as a, mm -hmm. as a partner in, mm -hmm. in the shops. And, you know, he could build just about anything. The only thing he really couldn't do was plumbing. And even then he could do plumbing. He, at one point we had a hydrum and he took it apart and fixed it and put it back together. I mean, it's just like, he was handy like that. Um, it, and it brought him a certain amount of joy, right? Yeah. This was really satisfying for him. And honestly, that is, I, I think it's very cool when people get a lot out of that, but I don't. Um, for me, well, there, the, there's I, also I, a big difference between someone who can do it themselves because they know how to do it. And the people that are just like, I don't know, I guess I'll try to figure out how to wire a, a new light fixture or I'll figure out how to do grout. Like there's a big difference between I already know how to do it and I got to figure it out because I can't afford to pay someone to do it. Right, right. My father-in-law uh, has, a, has a saying, he's just like, the best way to do that is to do it on someone else's house. Like if your friend needs help, help them figure out how to do it wrong with your friend and then do it right on your own. <laughs> uh -huh. um, uh, but yeah, I, I think for a lot of people, the, especially in the piercing industry, you, you 
you have these folks that really know how to do stuff. They, they, they it, it is not their first time swinging a hammer and it's great. Right. Um, so if you get a lot out of that and your, your budget comes way down because of that, great, but that's not me. Um, and then uh, the other thing is that, and I, I, I always have to sort of, because I sort of suffer with depression, uh, I always have to think to myself, like, is, is doing it myself now and then always being angry about the thing, the flaws in it, is that worthwhile? Yeah. <laughs> because for me, I just know the way I am. If I were to put up a wall and I could see the, the, you know, the transition between the two pieces of drywall, it would drive me nuts. Right. Mm. I'm not even going to look at it if, if I've paid somebody else to do it. Right. Like, Oh, they did it. It's great. You know, um, but it'll drive me nuts. So I just, I always have to sort of protect my mental health <laughs> in the process of making these decisions, which is a weird thing to consider. Right. And the pros and cons, like, is it going to drive me crazy? <laughs> um, but I had to do that. So one, one of the things, uh, you know, when we were getting into that sort of wish list thing, uh, the wish list, the top of the wish list was to have a designer, mm -hmm. right? Have somebody that has the style and uh, ability to design a space that I wouldn't be able to do. Yeah. And that was perhaps next to the the contractors the biggest investment and in things um but i had saved the money to do that that because it was such a big priority for me so it, a lot of it was just saving and saving and saving so that i had enough uh, uh cash flow to do it um one of the other bonuses of having something like a contractor uh was that important things would happen without ever causing me any stress. Yeah, like, yeah. Uh, uh, so one of the best days I remember I went in and I'd gone, uh, gone into the new store and I was, I was talking with the contractors like, Oh yeah, you know, today we got approval from the city on this, 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 and this, and we'll have this done next week. And I hadn't even realized they were going to get approval for those things, but I also didn't know that they were approvals that were needed right yeah. so this was never a stress for me it had it there i don't know if i can put a price tag on the fact that i didn't lose sleep mm -hmm. <laughs> worrying about like oh we're gonna pass electrical inspection right they, just, they had it they were it was handled yeah. um uh and that that also like in the process of doing this i also got to really think about well how much how much cheaper is doing it myself, especially the fact that I'm, I'd be a beginner at most of these things. Uh, it would have taken significantly longer. Right. So there's like this, this diminishing returns that if it took two months longer, well, that's not just two months of rent. That's also two months of profit on the space. Yeah. Uh, so it really like the time saving nature of hiring it out ended up saving me some money uh, compared to if I was doing it myself. I think also when you hire professionals who, who know their job, uh, they can give you subject, uh, suggestions that in the end could end up saving you some money. Like when I was going through my, my most recent process, um, the electricians were like, hey, yeah, you know, instead of putting in like regular fluorescent 
fixtures, we can put in LED through the whole building and that'll save you however much money over time. And when I was dealing with like the, the heating people and the duct people, they were like, you know, if you do this for energy efficiency, you'll save so much And all these different things where it's like, yeah, you hire the right people who are skilled professionals. And um, it, it was a great decision because my previous studio, I, I had to do a lot of it myself. I had to do the floors with my dad and I had to build the, the cabinetry myself and all that because I had no other financial options. So when I was at a point where it was like, okay, I'm going to be taking out a loan for construction. Um, I want to hire professionals to do this stuff. And it did make my life a lot easier. I got a shop that in the end I was a lot happier with. And I think over time with all the energy efficiency that they suggested, it can potentially save me money too. Right. Uh, and, and I think one of the things that you said earlier, but I, I do want to hammer home is like, this was a bit of a luxury for both of us. You know, this yeah. was a, something we had worked our way to. It'd be really cool to have done this my first shot. Right. <laughs> but it financially wasn't in the cards. And they're also yeah. from an experience point of view, wasn't in the cards. Right. Mm -hmm. So it, it, it really, as cool as it was, I'm sure if I do another shop, right, I'll be, I'll be better at it again. Uh, and, uh, hopefully I'll have, uh, made the, uh, um, uh, save the money to do it in the way that feels right for me again, but doing it in a way that feels really good the whole time is, is a luxury, right? So out of the things that are minimum requirements for, you know, okay. We, like we, you and I talked about, they approached you and said like, oh yeah, we're going to do these really cool sinks. And all you have to do is tap it with the back of your hand. But then the piercer brain is like, no, 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 no. It has to be handless. You can't touch it. It has to be infrared. Mm -hmm. So some of those things that fall into what you or I might consider a minimum standard, you know, completely hands-free sinks and, you know, non-porous flooring and adequate lighting and really slick showcases mm -hmm. that, that draw people towards the jewelry. Like aside from that, the things that are more of a minimum standard in a, in a high functioning piercing studio. Um, were there any like little things that you kind of did to, to spoil, you, uh, spoil yourself or was like kind of, um, you know, like icing on the cake. I, I think the uh, uh, center display case was mm -hmm. really, uh, and it's difficult because we're doing a podcast, but it's essentially, <clears throat> Uh, the center display case in the facility was built with the idea that you'd walk around it and that mm. in general, the, uh, the, the counter staff would be on one side in general, the, uh, the customers would be on the other side, but something I had never even considered. And what the designer said was like, Oh, well, let's make it. So you sit at it almost like a, a, a table and they built it in such a way. And they developed like this cool, like routing, uh, technique to give the the piece texture and stuff and it's just all weird angular lines and uh, that was it was a big investment in terms of wow like this is a crazy display case but don't want it it looks so different from anything else yeah. and uh it it's funny because sometimes you you uh end up with a little bit less functionality on things like that but it's just it was really cool it it, it was a lot of money to get it done uh but i love it and it just it you just won't see anything like it anywhere else well it, it'll pay dividends in the long run too because i i think part of what you 
want slash need uh, in a studio with that's that's trying to att attract clients who are comfortable with maybe higher tickets or just like you know the 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 price that comes along with the quality you want to offer you want to give them an experience where they walk through the door and maybe have the thought process of like oh this is not at all what I expected from a mm -hmm. piercing studio um, I think that if somebody goes into a, a shop where they feel like it's like oh yeah you're just one of of many you look like all the other places that I've ever been into or, or looked at pictures of that can kind of do you a disservice because you don't set yourself aside as being like, this is the, this is the destination. This is the shop I need to go to. Um, if you make yourself look like every other shop, then you're just like every other shop. If you make yourself look like the shop, then you're the shop. Sure. Yeah. I think, I think there's a, a real uh, value in that, right. Where, yeah, you, you know, we, you've probably walked into a coffee shop when you're just like, Oh, coffees are going to, be expensive at this place right? Yeah. versus you know the styrofoam cup place you're just like okay i mm -hmm. you know i i you 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 sort of unconsciously uh put a value on what you're doing just be based on the space that you're in and yeah. i didn't want the space to ever take away and and i definitely felt like our old space at was sufficient but it didn't really inspire the kind of uh, vibe that we wanted, um, uh, you know, and I, I feel like that new space does. And, the, you know, the things that were considered in terms of the design of the space, just like, all right, so not just how does one walk around in the space, but uh, if you if you take a look at my shop online or whatever, you're going to see that the, the hallway um, to the piercing rooms has an angled ceiling and it's painted a, a, a really bright pink and it's got these uh, uh, pink lights that sit on the uh, that uh, kind of bathe the place in this this glow and that was done for a couple reasons first we wanted people to uh, have a transition from the busy front counter area to be more relaxed and uh, uh, more uh, 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 more personal uh, piercing room experience right mm -hmm. we really wanted people to feel that transition but we also wanted something where uh people just walking in off the street knew not to walk back there but without there being a sign that says don't walk back here <laughs> right and it, it's worked beautifully we've never had anyone wander back to the piercing rooms it's just there's something about the way the space was designed that prevents people from from seeing it like that yeah um, and it's 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 worked beautifully. So it was one of those things where um, uh, hiring people that thought of stuff like that was it worked out really well for us. So um, I wanted to kind of talk about maybe some of the more like rapid fire kind of thing, like some of the the little little factors that might go into opening a studio where if somebody was planning it for the future or even just kind of mulling it over in the back of their mind, things to to think about. And I would say, um, you always want to think about parking. And mm -hmm. if you're more of a foot traffic kind of a city, like Lola is in more of a foot traffic city center kind of a thing. So parking isn't as much of a priority, but you really want to think about how the, the clients will get into your studio. Um, mm -hmm. you know, is it centrally located? If it's not located near mass transit or something like, can they park? Will the neighborhood feel safe and welcome and inviting? Like, do you have an amazing studio in a bad section of town? You know, like those kinds of factors, you want to think about that. So 
Um, are there any other things that you would want people to, to know? Like those, that whole concept of like, I didn't know what I didn't know. Well, what mm -hmm. are some of those now, you know, it things that you would want to share with people? Uh, there, there are some spots that are cursed. Um, and this seems like a, a more of a, a restaurant issue, but mm -hmm. you know, like a new restaurant goes into the same place every three years and yeah. it opens and it fails and then mm -hmm. it, somebody else does it. There's something <clears throat> about that particular spot that it's not, it's usually not because the, uh, uh, the business didn't work hard enough or it wasn't good enough. Uh, usually it's, there's something engineering wise that's just not working. Uh, I always uh, talk about like, you know, the, there's like that highway near your house where there's always an accident. Mm -hmm. It's not because people become bad drivers in that area, right? People's quality of driving is relatively static. Uh, there's something engineered wrong about that particular area. Uh, and, and that can be true of a business location as well. Um, so if it's just like, oh, it was this, it was this, it was this, it was this. And I've only lived here five years. Like it's probably not a good sign. Um, uh, I, I did see there was a, a, a local tattoo studio. They were in a, a location for years, 10 years or more. And then that building ended up getting torn down for like a, a city expansion. And then they moved to, I'm sure what they thought at the time was a no brainer location. They moved to like an, an open, really visible location right on main street on a busy intersection. And their thought process might've been, we're going to have a lot of car traffic. We're going to have a lot of foot traffic. They moved in there. And then within a couple of years, they were, they were closed because um, th yeah, there was a lot of driving by at traffic, but there was no place to stop. There was no place to park. Um, you would drive by it and then immediately you'd be a couple of blocks away before you could find a place to actually stop your car and, and get out. So just because a place is a high visibility location doesn't mean it's going to be convenient for your clients to actually get in there and, and pay for your services. Right, right. Yeah. And I, that was uh, probably true of my second location was that it was it was beautiful. Uh, I loved working there and you, you saw it. But it was maybe uh, arguably like two blocks too far from from the area where people tended to be. Uh, it really felt like two blocks was the big difference. And uh, yeah, I mean, it, it, it was uh, successful, but not successful enough to redo the, the lease. Uh, you know, um, I didn't blame uh, um, Rockstar for, you know, sort of being like, OK, it was it was a fun experiment, but we're done. Um, yeah, uh, th that location thing is really hard. And, and for example, the first gamble location, right? Like I thought it was a good spot, but it really was uh, like, we needed to open. We were, you know, there was only about a certain amount of money and we could have kept on waiting for the absolute perfect flawless location. And I think that would have been a mistake too. So, yeah. uh, you can overdo that thought process. And a lot of times the most, the best location is going to be significant price increase on the rent, mm -hmm. uh, you know, so you've got to take that into account as well. Yeah. You, you do want to kind of plan for construction is always going to take longer mm -hmm. than you hoped it would. 
Um, there, there will always be like unforeseen opening costs, you know, so you always want to have a little bit of extra padding in your budget. You don't want to try to bring it right down to the wire and run it razor thin. Um, I would say one of the bigger lessons that I learned kind of the hard way, um, was if you're going to sign any sort of legal document, you're going to sign a lease, you're going to sign whatever, hire a lawyer, hire a lawyer, um, and have them review it because when, when I had my most recent location, um, the people that I was negotiating with tried to sneak a bunch of different things into a, into a, a contract. And it, if my lawyer hadn't caught it, I would have been screwed. I wouldn't, I wouldn't have been screwed on day one, but I would have been screwed eventually. So hiring a lawyer uh, to review any sort of legal documents, yeah, it'll cost you a little bit of money, but it's worth every penny in my opinion. Mm-hmm. I would agree. Yeah. Uh, also, like over time, I've just like the concept of DIY versus hiring a professional for construction. Um, I, I also do completely value hiring professionals for things like bookkeeping, accounting, payroll, have a financial advisor, all that stuff, because sometimes piercers, believe it or not, are not great about managing their own finances. <laughs> um, some of us are really good at having the most amazing, expensive curated collection of like hobby nonsense. But when it comes down to like funneling that money into a business, we kind of start to just hear like a buzzing sound in our minds and can't really plan more than three months ahead of time. So talk to a financial advisor and ask questions like, these are the plans that I would want to include in a new studio. Is it financially viable? Like have an actual business plan Mm -hmm. for not just how you're going to open a studio and spend all the money to open a studio, but how you're going to recoup that money and create a thriving business in that studio. Right. Uh, You know, John Johnson had a good class on business plans. I don't know if it's available online uh, or if he's done it in a while, but I I took his class years ago and I got a lot out of it. Mm -hmm. Uh, So I believe it was John Johnson. I might be uh, miscrediting it, but I kind of doubt it. I think he had a, 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 I'm almost positive it was him and it was very, very good. Um, So yeah, business plans, super worthwhile, right? Uh, even if it, you know, uh, a friend of mine refers to a business plan as an elaborate fiction, mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, but it does actually, uh, you know, the first time I sat down and wrote a business plan for the first gamma, I went through it with my father-in-law who's run several successful businesses. And he's just like, yeah, uh, how much are you spending on parking a month? And it's like th- things like that. I just like, Oh, I, I hadn't really considered. He's like, well, if you're going to get a parking pass, it's $200. If you're going to pay every day, it's $12 a day, or are you going to park real far away and walk? And it was like very clear that that's exactly what I need to do (laughs) park for free and walk to work to save that 12 bucks a day, because like my, my numbers were that tight initially. Um, So yeah, it's uh, uh, things like that. Having somebody to bounce it past, whether it's a financial advisor or just sort of a trusted uh, experienced business person, uh, they'll see things that you're not seeing. A, a, a big factor, which is going to be, it's going to vary so much uh, from place to place, but is, is jewelry. So with you being in a scenario where you were moving from shop three to shop four, that's a completely different conversation because you already probably have a, a good amount of the inventory you want and you're transferring it over. So for the people who are looking to open a new studio, um, how would you want them to go about budgeting because for me i always tell people like well you need to have at least some sort of a loose business plan because if you can't 
at least have a guess, a, a reasonable estimate of how many people you might be servicing during the first like one to six months. If you don't have goals for what you want to be servicing 18 months from now, it's really difficult to plan out jewelry because you don't want to go into it thinking, um, I can just spend 5,000 or, hey, I'll just spend 50,000 and then just hoping your decisions work. You want to be able to kind of like plan for what you need and not not necessarily over plan because again, you need to allocate your, your resources appropriately. So how would you suggest people kind of approach the jewelry question when it comes to opening a new studio? Yeah. Uh, the, I'd say it's the first thing that you need to consider is like, what piercings are we offering? Right. You know, and what are the average jewelry sizes for those things? And then the average downsizes for those things. Yeah. Uh, so let's say you're moving to a completely new area and you really don't know what's going to be popular. So you have to kind of base it on like generally what's popular is, uh, you know, earlobes, ear cartilage, uh, nostrils, and now, you know, eyebrows seem to be having a good big comeback. Right. So you can sort of look at those things. Like what are the things I'm going to be doing every day? Um, and, and buy accordingly for those things. Uh, one of the things that I really like about, for example, like threadless jewelry is that a end that works on earlobe can also work on a nostril, can also work on a helix. So you might want to say like, oh, well, my priority is threadless and I'll work threaded in in, in these specific spots, right? When I first opened uh, uh, the first Gamma, there it was either there hadn't been threadless nipple barbells or they were just starting. So I knew I was going to be doing a lot of nostrils and a lot of helix piercings and earlobes. So my priority were, were these threadless ends and threadless posts. And I just wanted to make sure I had enough threaded nipple barbells so that I could offer that service. Uh, but you might be moving to an area where like, oh, all I'm going to be doing is navels, right? So now navels are a big priority. Uh, it really, you need to kind of have an idea of what are you going to be offering? We made the initial decision like, oh, do we need a lot of thick barbells right off the bat? And the answer was no, right? Like even if uh, we have a few genital customers that are interested in doing whatever Prince Albert's or, or something like that, uh, investing a ton of money in that jewelry right away is not a, a big bang for a buck because it's not the everyday customer. Yeah. Uh, so it, it was just one of those things where we really had to think about what are we going to be offering and what do we want to have? Mm -hmm. uh, and then you have to take into account the lead time on jewelry purchases, how long things may take uh, and what's going to work for your timeline. Right. Um, years ago, what I would have said was just like, get the build done and then order your jewelry. And I would say, you got to switch that nowadays, right? Yeah. Because you don't want to have the beautiful space with all the finishing touches done and not have the jewelry. Uh, so, you know, thinking through that far in advance is probably worthwhile too. Yeah. And then that can get, it can get weird. Like even now, even with an existing business, it's, it's weird for me to plan out. Like I just made, uh, a, a fancy gold jewelry op, uh, order the other day thinking this is going to be my spring 2022 line. Mm -hmm. So what do I expect will be popular? Um, 
you know, color wise, but also piercing location wise, because uh, trends change. You know, there was a there was a, a long time where like white gold was the number one. And now it's like it's all yellow gold. And it's like if that if that changes within the space of six months, you might get in a, a massive order where it's like, oh, man, this would have been great to have months ago. But now people want something different. So. It's difficult to predict to to predict things, and I would say if you're starting with a a new shop, there's nothing wrong with limiting your selection. Saying like, well, I'm going to offer some nice choices for earlobes, helix piercings, nostril piercings, and maybe one or two other selected things. But then I'll grow into options for navels. I'll grow into options for nipples. I'll grow into options for you know downstairs piercings or or whatever. But um. You have to you have to be able to have some factors to plan around. What am I going to offer? How much do I expect to be offering? What are my goals? Is it going to be just me piercing? Do I intend on having other people in and planning for things like downsizes or you know if you need some stuff for troubleshooting? So you, you really you really do want to think it out, and sometimes that can get dizzying. I know that we've had conversations where you're just kind of like a bundle of nerves because you're overthinking. I know exactly what that feels like because that's like a day to day for me. Mm-hmm. So I think some piercers going into that, I want to open a shop one day scenario. It can sound like a completely overwhelming list of options, but write the stuff down, think about it. Not everything has to be done on one day, but it it's not a bad thing to try to look at all the different angles. Yeah. And, and in terms of limiting selection, I think, uh, what I've noticed a lot of people do nowadays, and I think it worked out really well for me, is also limit your options as far as what you offer, right? Uh, it, there, you, you don't have to offer every single piercing. And if there's a piercing that you per, like brings you an un, um, uh, unnecessary amount of stress, maybe that's kids' lobes, right? You're just like, oh, you know, I really don't like offering kids' lobes kids or uh, those experiences aren't really positive for me, then, then you don't have to, right? Especially if you are uh, opening the shop, it's your choice. Mm-hmm. You can sort of take care of yourself with healthy boundaries like that. It doesn't mean that people won't call and be upset, right? You know, our, our shop stopped doing um, surface piercings and we never offered surface anchors. Mm-hmm. And yeah, sometimes people are like, I really wish you did. And it's like, yeah, you know, uh, uh, it's, it's a big investment in jewelry and not a lot of people want those piercings in this area. And also, uh, and this is the part we don't say is just like, you know, we don't get a lot of a joy out of doing those piercings. Yeah. Yeah. Um, can you think of anything else that would jump into your mind as far as like, you should know this if you're going to start planning for a studio, nothing springs to my mind immediately. I, but there's always, there's always something when people talk about stuff with a, a shop, I would say <clears throat> you also need to know how much money you have to work with. Uh, you need to know what your credit score is. You know, if, if you're planning on getting a business loan, you need to know, like, can you be, can you be pre-qualified for a loan or do you have to cut a scramble for a loan? Like once you find a location and, and sign a lease to, to pay for your build out, like knowing what your resources are before you start this planning, I would, I would see as a, a, a big factor. Yeah. I, I, so there's the financial part of it in terms of what is your savings or your ability to get a loan. I, I have not uh, traditionally gone the loan route. Uh, I've usually gone the savings route with these things. Uh, 
But I would also say, you know, be careful what you wish for, because a lot of times I think people want to build a shop and they think like, oh, well, you know, I'll build a shop and I'll, uh, it's because I want to pierce a certain way, right? Well, building a shop might be the the hardest way to manage that, right? Mm-hmm. If you've got a, a, a good job that you enjoy and you just wish you could do one thing different, like maybe negotiating that one thing different, I'm going to pick one just like, oh, you know, my, my boss doesn't want to invest in sterile gloves, like figure out a way to get there. Right. Mm-hmm. That might be a lot less effort than building a shop from scratch. Um, uh, the other thing is that economies change right now is a great era for uh, body piercing studios. But the one thing I promise is that it won't always be like this. Mm-hmm. Right. So you could find yourself in the position where you've saved up a bunch of money you open the shop and then for whatever reason, the economy collapses, right? So there's risk involved. It's not guaranteed to be successful and you need to sort of consider those risks and like, is that the way you want to go with things? Uh, I think a lot of times um, people, uh, uh, they'll put, they'll build this, the the shop ownership thing, myself included into this, it's perfect. It's great. It's wonderful. Uh, you, you, you don't really, uh, you, you can make other people do the piercings and you don't have to work at all. And then you get there and you're just like, Oh, wow. I work constantly. Yeah. It, it is, it is a, uh, a very weird, uh, position to be the owner and be the, per- the person where ultimately everything rests on your shoulders. Right. Um, uh, so all those things need to be considered and like, is, is building a shop right for you uh, financially, mental health wise mm-hmm. uh, uh, for what you want to do. If what you love doing is piercing, like running a really successful shop is not necessarily the way to do a lot of extra piercing. Right. Uh, I, I've seen um, like alternative business models work out really well for piercers too. If you're in a studio that's primarily a tattoo shop. Maybe the tattoo shop owner doesn't want to have to think about the million different things that they would need to do to make piercing really top notch in that studio, but maybe they'd be perfectly fine with just giving you a flat rent mm-hmm. on piercing space for you to kind of do what you want, have it be sort of a training wheels kind of scenario where there's already a, a turnkey location. And then you can just kind of make the piercing service in that space that you want. Like it doesn't have to go from nothing to owning a shop because like you said like it's it's tough like sometimes when i talk to uh people in in my my family in my personal life that aren't related to the industry and they say like oh you know how's work going and it's like oh cool well you know i only i only pierce like one day a week now and they're like oh it must be nice to get six days off and it's like no 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 no. i only (laughs) one day a week i i'm working probably still seven days a week you know at least five days a week because it's all of that office stuff that you have to do where just like you said everything is your problem when you're the owner so like jewelry wait times and planning out stuff with with six months uh lead time and and hey this thing broke or hey we have to do this compliance issue or whatever like that's that's your responsibility if if you're the the owner yeah oh we ran out of this one critical piece yeah right yeah All, all of that is is uh as frustrating as it sounds, maybe more so, 
Yeah. Uh, and I, the thing is that like, I, I've got an amazing team, right? Uh, uh, I can only imagine if like you have a, a group of people that doesn't get along, right? Or um, that, yeah, I mean, like, you know, hiring people's hard right now. I've, I've, you know, we've had um, some real good luck with uh, counter people. Um, and uh, we've also, you know, I've been trying to hire more, but there's uh, uh, certainly a lack of uh, employees right now. Mm-hmm. Um, so there, there's a lot of headaches that I never would have considered. Right. And it's like, Oh, wow. This is now not only, a problem, but my problem. <laughs> yeah. Um, it, the, the, and the supply chain stuff uh, from medical supplies to gloves, uh, I guess those are medical supplies, but you know, uh, it, it, jewelry, uh, trying to plan for that appropriately. Like these are all things that when you're just piercing, uh, uh, I say just piercing, such a challenging job, right? Uh, but when that's your primary focus, you can sort of put those other things in the background. Whereas when you own the shop, it's constantly like on your mind. It's just like, yeah. Oh, do I have enough uh, hard surface disinfectant? Oh, today I've got to make sure I order this. Uh, oh, that order still hasn't shown up. Oh, that order's lost. Right. Like all these things become your problem. Mm-hmm. Um, other little things is, uh, figure out what your, your brand is going to be and then secure that brand. Um, as an example, in New Hampshire, you need to file a trade name with uh, the secretary of state. Then like I would always, going back to the lawyer thing, um, I would always say form an LLC early on, form like a, a depending on what legal area you're in, mm-hmm. I, would, I would form like a, a corporation. Um, I didn't have one for the first 10 or so years. And it was just like Ryan doing business as precision. And then later on, I realized like, well, there are a lot of tax advantages to having a corporation. There are a lot of different like liability issues that a, a, a corporation is, is smart to, to have. Um, so talk to those professionals, you know, secure whatever social media stuff and website stuff and all that stuff. But don't forget about like legal entities too, because it's a lot more difficult and a lot more costly to change yourself from a sole proprietor into a corporation after the fact. Mm. Um, So, you know, maybe kind of planning for long-term success by like giving yourself those infrastructure factors early on, that can, that can be a a great thing too. Sure. Yeah. There's the honest truth is there's just so much to it. Right. (laughs) You know, Uh, and that's one of the things I always think is funny about being a piercer in general, the number of things you have to be good at to Mm. be a good piercer, you know, not just piercing effectively, but your health and safety, your bedside manner. Oh, photography. Oh, social design presence. Oh my, like all the things that you have to be by opening a business, you've got to you add, you're adding more, not subtracting. Right? Mm-hmm. The one thing you might do is like, oh, I'm going to pay for this. <laughs> I'm going to delegate this, that sort yeah. of thing. Uh, so yeah, uh, all, all of those uh, legal entity things, having someone that really understands this, like I, I, I would be, a lot of people might be like, oh, I'll go on legal zoom and be done with it. It's just like, ah, I would, this is a place where I'd invest. I think the lawyer um, or at least some uh, uh, 
business entity uh like you know uh, uh in in the us um spark is the small business uh um or the sba like all those things will help yeah well that that's a great point that you bring up too is um you know both of us are us citizens obviously so we can't really speak for outside of that different countries but in in the united states there's the small business administration through the federal government um, and its goal is to basically help people create and sustain small businesses. And they'll, they'll typically be one um, in major cities. They'll have an office. Uh, if not, they'll have it in maybe a, a state capital. So you can reach out to those people. A lot of times they have free online training, or you can even like talk to a consultant and they can try to steer you towards maybe local business professionals that can help you actually get the stuff done. But through my last build out, the small business administration was really important for me. Like I actually did my most recent studio with a small business administration federal loan. Oh, cool. Um, so those resources are definitely uh, available too. Um, and there, there are a lot of different programs under that umbrella. Very cool. Yeah. I I've worked with the SBA before, uh, in mostly just in an advisory thing, but mm -hmm. yeah, it's always been uh, time well spent for sure. Yeah. You know, local chamber of commerce, better business bureau, all that stuff. If nothing else, they can at least point you towards maybe business mentors in your area or, you know, hey, I need somebody to that that does signage who, you know, and they can steer you towards options for signage. Because sometimes if you just go to Google um, or whatever your your electronic version of the yellow pages is, you just end up with a random person instead of a, a good and qualified person. Sure. Yeah. Well. I feel like this might be a good place to start winding it down. So if there's like a, something to take away from about starting a business, my advice would be just don't. Just don't. <laughs> uh, my, my advice wouldn't be to just don't, but it would be that whatever amount of thought you've put into it, put more and write as much of it as you can down. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, well, any other, any other thoughts you want to share on the subject? uh on this particular subject i just i you know i i would say that that i i would like to thank the the team of people that i have working for me because uh and i didn't really get to hit on that much during it i had the luxury of really getting to let the the shop for the most part run itself um but it didn't run itself right people ran it and they did a really good job and they made they gave me the space to be able to make these decisions and to be able to work with contractors and designers and stuff. So if it wasn't for those folks, um, and I'll say specifically the piercers, uh, Nathaniel Tinker, uh, Kaylee Heaps, Kira Lee, Ben Tauber, like if I didn't have those folks, but also all the counter staff that would do such a great job that it just, it wouldn't have been nearly as good. Uh, I, and uh, it certainly wouldn't, it, it it's been hard, <laughs> but it's been mostly super fun. And it's certain if I didn't have this amazing group with me, then it wouldn't, it wouldn't have been super fun. Uh, so I'm really fortunate. And so thank you for letting me shout them out because they've just done such a great job and they've been so fun to work with. It's been really great. I, I don't want to boil it, everything down to uh, generic terms like, you know, resources, you know, human resources are a huge part of it, but yeah, it's, it's people and no matter how experienced or skilled um, a shop owner, a shop manager, a, a senior piercer, whatever it might be, it's the whole staff that makes a shop successful. 
Even sure. if you have like one superstar staff member, it takes everybody as a team to do it. And especially if you're growing success, that's all based on the collaborative teamwork. Yeah. And it, 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 I've just got, you know, such a great team and I'm, I'm, I'm really thankful for them. I'm grateful every day for them. <laughs> and I, you know, my, my wife definitely uh, uh, was there to say like, no to my bad ideas and, and really encouraged me on my good ones. So that, that, that sort of thing was really helpful too. Yeah. The, the overall theme that I hear coming from your answers is that it's a, it's a collaborative effort and it's not just your idea and your way is, is the law. Like you reached out for lots of advice, you listened to lots of advice, and then that's kind of what you put together to make this thing you have. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you, you, you said it precisely. Nailed it. Uh, well, thanks for your time. And um, one more time for the people listening, uh, where, where is your shop and, and how do they find it? Uh, so it's a Gamma Piercing in Ann Arbor, Michigan. Uh, our website is gammapiercing.com. Uh, and that's the best way to interact with us. Uh, uh, yeah, I think that's about it. Oh, Ryan, do you mind if I lavish praise on you for a second? okay all right so you just hit how many episodes 200 that's insane uh congratulations i'm so proud of you this is a huge accomplishment um that much uh and i hate to use the word content right but like that much discussion about body piercing and uh help for people free of charge right like it's just it's it's a enormous accomplishment and uh thank you for what you've done especially through the pandemic and how helpful that was uh uh but like uh, congratulations but also uh thank you for doing this this work for so long well thank you i appreciate it and thanks for being on so many episodes yeah yeah my pleasure i i always have a good time i'll get you your jacket eventually (laughs) awesome (laughs) all right well go be a dad and uh, i'll talk to you later all right bye ryan thanks so much all right thanks for talking to me jeff the new gamma piercing is amazing so if you the listener out there haven't seen it already go to their social media check it out it's a really kick-ass looking shop Uh, Stay tuned until after the credits. I've got a a special drop-in from Jeff's son, Simon, who really wanted to be part of the podcast. It was pretty adorable to watch Jeff in, like, full dad mode. Um, Again, thank you for all of your support over at patreon.com slash ryanpba. I've got that new doth piercing video. I show three different examples of doth piercings from start to finish, so go ahead and check that out. It's fully narrated and subtitled. I've got the Ask Me Anything session live Sunday, December 19th, and then uh, available on demand for uh, Patreon followers after that. Go ahead and submit your questions on Patreon, and I'll have some material prepared for you. And I should have that new uh, Needle Mod video done pretty soon, too. So lots of stuff coming down the pipeline. So thanks for your uh, support. Thanks for listening to the show after 200 and whatever episodes. Uh, And, uh, you know, stay sharp and stay vigilant with that whole COVID thing out there. It's not going away as much as we want it to go away. So just uh, stay safe. Keep your staff safe. Keep your clients safe. And uh, I'll be back for more episodes soon. Thanks. For more information about the show, visit piercingwizardpodcast.com or like Piercing Wizard Podcast on Facebook. For more info about your host, visit precisionbodyarts.com or search Ryan PBA on Facebook, Instagram, and Tumblr. If you enjoy the show, you can subscribe on iTunes, Apple Podcast, and Google Play. 
Music by Benny B. Blanco. Show copyright 2017, Precision Body Arts, LLC. All rights reserved. Uh, Simon, do you want to watch me do the interview? You really can't talk during the whole thing. This is my friend Ryan. Do you want to say hi to Ryan? Hi, Simon. Hi. All right. So I'm going to ask you to be quiet so I can answer these questions. Is that okay? Because he's recording this and he's going to send it to people. Is that okay? All right. That's a cool uh, Pikachu shirt. He said that's a cool Pikachu shirt. Thanks.